0: Welcome to the Boardrooms Best, the podcast for CEOs, board directors, investors, leaders, and those who want to rise and serve in the boardrooms of public, private, family owned, charitable foundations, and exciting, high flying entrepreneurial companies. I'm Nancy May, the CEO of the Board Bench Companies, and I'm your host here today at the Boardrooms Best. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Boardrooms Best. I'm your host, Nancy May. Before we get started on this show, I would like to put a request out to each and every one of you to subscribe to our show on your favorite network, be that iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, whatever you particularly like. We are just about on all of them now, and we've had such a great run in these past few months and starting out the show. The response has been phenomenal. If you haven't done so already, I would like to invite you to take just two seconds to hit subscribe, probably even less than that. And send me your comments, your thoughts, your ideas for new shows, other people that you'd like to hear from, and other subjects you'd like to address. Thank you in advance for doing that, and let's get on with our show. Good day, everybody. This is Nancy May, once again, from the boardroom's best. And I am here today with my very good friend, the CEO and founder of Tigris Financial, Cynthia DiBartolo. And boy, is she ever a Tigress! Cynthia, I really feel like there needs to be something more fierce than a tiger when we talk about you. Oh, thank you, Nancy. You have a really fascinating company. We met early on when you were in the throes of really starting Tigris.
1: That's correct. Back in 2012. Gosh, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Um, No, the years just fly by. Yeah.
0: And your story is interesting, but we're going to get to that a little later. What I'd like to do today is really talk about some of your expertise, which beyond the investment world for large pension funds and other high net worth individuals and companies who are really looking at the markets to strengthen their positions, but it's really about also a lot of what's going on in the foreign markets. Correct. So the unicorns, I mean, we've talked a little bit about this in the past and and the young Asian companies that are coming to list here in the U.S., And since the boardroom's best is really talking about boardroom CEOs and different kind of leadership that's going on in the world today, let's talk a little bit about what's happening with these younger Asian companies and even some of the more mature ones that are coming to list here in the States in a market that they may know but just like us going anywhere else, you know, the U.S.-centric environment, we tend to have. It's like the old uh, cartoon of, you know, what's the center of the universe, and we've got New York, Manhattan. Correct. Um, I think that we all have that sort of mindset, even as Americans in general. When the Asians come here, they have a similar kind of approach.
1: Yes, yeah, so I think China in particular, when they come here with the, these companies to list in the U.S., th- there's a number of challenges that, that they face. And some of them recognize that early on, and some of them don't learn the pain of that until after their IPO. For instance, last year, most of the touted Chinese IPOs that came here really did not perform well. They were money losers, and they gave back, uh, and they erased over a billion dollars in shareholder investment. Wow! So it begs the question, why is that happening? And we have to look at a number of things. One is the expectation real for these principles that come from China that I want to list here. Two, what are the political issues in China itself that can really affect a company overnight? Because of the, the communist element there, that can impact a company with little to no warning. Therefore, the trajectory of a company can change drastically, impacting investors. And we can't forget that that is,
0: it's not a, it's not a, a true Republican environment. Correct. You know, at
1: times people do forget that because... Our world so, is so, so integrated. And we are. Right? The world's so small now. There's such an overlap, but you really have to look deep. Into, into this. And remember that that is a very uh, critical element that can affect any company at any time. More than that, I think you have issues that in China that companies have struggled with, such as transparency around their fin- actual financials. But we've had some struggles with that
0: over we, the years, right? Not necessarily yes, that we, it shouldn't have been, it does, but It's, it's not does that happen. it doesn't exist
1: here. There's no country that is immune to that, but unfortunately, in China, there just seemed to be more a, a prevalence mm-hmm. of the lack of transparency. When you look at some of the companies last year that didn't fare well after their IPO, you have to question the quality of their business. Were they far too early on to IPO? Was it strictly life cycle and timing? Mm-hmm. Did they really have a tested product? Was it truly disruptive and competitive? And what about their brand recognition? I mean, that's a huge struggle for American investors to get their head around. Oftentimes, they struggle just saying the name of the company, let alone understanding what the company does and what its value is. So when you look at all those elements, it makes it somewhat problematic.
0: I'm not an expert in the China markets and the China exchange markets. You are definitely in that environment. From what I understand, the U.S. markets are actually a lot easier for companies to list on versus the Asian markets. We can balance out not always being profitable and being listed, and the Chinese companies have to be profitable if they are listed on those exchanges, which is a very different mindset.
1: So you just raised a very important point, and it couldn't be any more timely because the laws and regulations have now been relaxed in China as very recent. To allow unprofitable companies to list. Oh, so that's just that's, that's actually very changing. Recent. Yes, the, you're going to be able to list unprofitable companies in China. They're concerned about these companies leaving the footprint, leaving the, and with that goes earnings and revenue. So there's been recent change about allowing these unprofitable companies to list and they're going to look at other factors besides profitability. They're going to put more weight in the valuation, potential growth, industry trends, and its social impact. So So those are the factors that will take more weight in these companies that would like to IPO that are not profitable, that will fit within this new framework in China. So from a
0: board perspective, we just talked about transparency. That opens up a whole nother realm of complexity if you are being asked to serve on these particular companies, especially if you're US or European centric and now serving on a an Asian or Chinese company board here in the United States. Although they may be listed in the US if they're listed over there, the type of due diligence that you can do as a director becomes even more complex.
1: Nancy that is a huge pain point. Mm. It is a tremendous liability. I caution any individual who's asked to go on a board of a foreign company to give it serious thought around how do they actually understand what's happening in these companies. Because at the end of the day, once you're on that board, you expose yourself. It's not a glamorous role. It is a serious role and well, that's true of all boards. Yeah, I mean, technically, boards, I think there is that they're misnomer that there it's is a lot more glamour out there in boards. See, there is, that is, for the general public that do not realize the responsibility and the fiduciary duty. If taken seriously. Correct. I think there's a an uneducated group of individuals that don't realize how serious a role it is. And the folks that are on there do engage and they're bringing their expertise. But with that, and they are paid, they're paid because of the value they bring, but also because of the risk they have in assuming these roles. And the old adage
0: that you are paid... As a director, at least here in the States, you're paid as a director for what you do do, not what you should be doing. And that's the challenge when all of a sudden the pressures exceed what the initial expectations were. There's fraud. There's a breach, as we have seen in some companies in the past couple of months. And now your CEO or your board members are sitting on a witness stand. That's correct. So do you know what the, the backlash and liabilities are in Chinese listed companies when there is some kind of event, shall we call it?:
1: You know, unfortunately, because of the way the media and the press is controlled in China, I don't think that we could ever feel comfortable saying that we are aware of what that backlash is and what those consequences are. I've had uh, spent quite a bit of time in China doing on uh, whether it's banking or EB-5 projects, or even being a guest of the government to speak at the Belt and Road Forum. And the one thing that's really clear is access to information is extremely controlled. Mm -hmm. So therefore, things may not be as they appear in the press. So fake news. Well, you know, in many ways, ways, yes, it's... uh, Manufactured it is, it, is, it, is, it is extremely filtered yeah. as to what you will you'll get access to.
0: Now we talked a little while just earlier about the fear of, of companies leaving China and money leaving China. Yet some of the very large firms that are there are now listing either on the US and the Hong Kong exchanges together and their underwriters are large US centric companies. Correct. That's got another add another element of concern to the markets and if you're a director or CEO of one of these mm-hmm. companies, is there a certain amount of comfort in having them represented
1: by a big U.S. Absolutely. investment bank? There, there is. I think that that could also give you a little bit of false expectation. So you don't, you shouldn't rely on that exclusively. But there's no question that when the largest firms, the bulge brackets, are lead underwriters on these, they have done considerable due diligence to get under the hood of these companies, to ensure that the representations are accurate, that there's no omissions. And that certainly, they not go, they don't need to do those IPOs. There's no shortage of IPOs at that level for those companies. Sure. So they can cherry pick the very best.
0: Versus at the early stage, the Correct. younger companies, the small cap, the pink
1: sheets, the Jobs Act company boards Absolutely. here in the United States. Yep. With that, you get a very different level of company. You probably get a very different level of management mm-hmm. in terms of the expertise. Just like anything. Like
0: any, absolutely. Yeah. And their job ultimately is to sell. That's Correct. it. Not to knock these companies because they're experts at what they do,
1: but they are pitchmen. But I think we have Providing
0: to- Providing the, the, the work, obviously. The, they're, they're, rep- they're not going to go out there and, and falsely, hopefully, represent companies that-
1: I, think, I think it's, it's twofold you're always going to be faced with unscrupulous people who take advantage of the market. That's just life. We're constantly going to have to make sure that we weed them out as a community. However, we need to do a better job of educating the public as investors around these because we still have a group of investors that think it's just going to be a big payday for them. Yellow big road to the end. Yeah, they're waiting for that pot of gold to hit and (laughs) are few and far between. There's a lot of institutions that can absorb the risk and they can play in this arena and they can take a chance on these companies. But there's the individual investor who's sitting on the sidelines and saying, I want to get in. And I don't think they fully understand the risk. I don't think they can absorb the risk. And there's a lot of other market opportunities for them that might be more suitable given their risk tolerance and their investment objectives that could yield them a uh, impressive return without exposing them to this unnecessary risk.
0: Yeah, well, we saw that in the days of Bernie Madoff, right? We did. How many people wanted to drop into that particular pot of gold thinking that it was it was the end of the rainbow for them, including some small investors who thought that they had a bigger appetite than they could really afford. That's right. And, you know, their lives have been Changed and destroyed forever in their families. But on a positive note, let's go. Let's go a little further. So we've talked about now. This is a total shift. We talked a and lot. By the about- way,
1: it is it is positive because as a result of what happened with Madoff, we've seen incredible correction from a regulatory standpoint. That's good. We've seen much more investor awareness. So out of that challenge, did come the opportunity to pull back, revisit what could be be done on different levels in the industry among stakeholders. And now
0: we always have to remember what happened in the rearview mirror while we're driving forward at all times,
1: because I think people get comfortable. And that's
0: true in boards, that's true with CEOs, that's true in companies, that's true in the markets, right? You know, there are swings back and forth.
1: Well, that's the happy medium, right? Because if you Look in that rearview mirror too long, you're gonna crash. Right? That's right. We don't drive so looking you, backwards. You we don't drive looking forward. So it's a matter of finding that balance.
0: So balance is is a great transition. We've talked ourselves uh, many times about the whole diversity issue in the boardroom and what's going on. Certainly, there have been changes in regulations internationally, but here in the states, and again, I'm just going to mention China because you have that expertise. I'm not sure what's happening when it relates to diversity in boardrooms in the Asian markets. But certainly, well, I certainly know what's going on in in India, but in China per se. But when you come to the U.S., there are not so many, but actually there aren't regulations yet here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that we'll actually get there. I could be wrong. Bite my tongue. But there are certainly different kinds of pressures out there. There's the media pressure. There's issues on Me Too that have come out that have at least elevated those questions. Maybe not so much always on boards from that particular perspective, but what's happening with women and diversity at the top levels of corporations. How are you seeing that impacting some of the things that you're doing here at Tigris?
1: I do see the opportunity for empowering women to continue to have a voice at different levels of an organization. Truth to the matter, the board is the hardest place to make that impact. There's no question. Women don't have the entree. They don't have the relationships. As a matter of fact, men, they run in packs and they're very good at dragging other men into their pack. Oh, we've also seen women who run in packs too. But (laughs) women are getting better at doing that. They, They are. They're learning that we have to reach back and lift up. And we have to do it in everything from hiring employees to management to the board. And not being afraid to make a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe, right,
0: because, so your name and reputation is not 100% anchored into somebody else's name and reputation if they make a mistake that you brought
1: forward. So you need to help correct and guide. There's a lot of truth to that. There are individuals who are stakeholders who are petrified to step outside of what has been historic in their company because they don't want to own the issue if it turns out to be the wrong decision. Uh, somebody, whether it's using diversity vendors, for instance, let's go to a different area of a company where diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion is super important. Diversity vendors especially in the financial services side, oftentimes companies will not use them because they're afraid an individual who has that decision-making authority, it could be in a pension, it could be in a corporation where they have an opportunity to delegate a certain amount of assets to a minority firm to manage, they're also afraid to do that because if it happens to be an underperformance, they don't want to be held accountable for picking that. You but see, they're accountable if it's a big firm too. Nobody's ever lost their job for hiring Goldman Sachs and it underperforms. Which is too bad because Okay, they nobody's should, ever right? lost a job for doing that. Maybe if things changed. And I've had this conversation with individuals on investment committees at pensions. Mm-hmm. You could just see they go pale when I tell them that. I think you're, you're sitting here saying that you want to work with diversity firms. But when we walk out of here, you're thinking about how do you keep yourself sustainable and play at the hoop a little longer. Because maybe if you make that wrong decision, that could be your exit from your chair. So you pick the more conservative and safe path. Which may not necessarily be the best path. That's right. Because truth of the matter, there's plenty of research that show diversity firms, especially women, asset managed, outperform their male counterparts.
0: We're more thoughtful in our decisions. We do our research and our homework because we have had to do so in order to keep ourselves in the game, to do it in a way that raises our own stakes. That's well, women are whole job. brain thinkers. Of course we are. Uh,
1: we, and not to say men only use half their brain, but sometimes that, they prove that to be the truth. Remind me to tell you about the joke about the male brain versus <laughs> had, that's the female not a big brain stretch. someday. <laughs> that's not a big stretch at all, but women are truly whole brain thinkers and they not only think about the decisions they make in terms of how it affects them personally, their career, their compensation, they think about how it affects their team, how it affects their company, how it affects their investor base, and how it affects their community. That is a very different approach to women who sit in decision-making seats. And there's so much credibility in the expression diversity of thought. Absolutely, And diversity of thought is truly the next frontier of diversity. Diversity itself gives, I have, I have diversity fatigue talking about diversity. We have to get past it just being diversity. There is no shortage of talented women and minorities in this country. There is no deficit of talent among gender at all. Yeah, there- we've all been told that there is huge deficit in that environment. Look at
0: what happened in the boardrooms, right? And even at the C-suite. Well, we can't find one. So there we go. Whatever they bring forward looks exactly like the team that's already there or the group of individuals They're the same background, same heritage, same college education, same history
1: and track record well, i've heard I've heard in change, Washington right? they got binders of women on the shelf somewhere oh yes <laughs> about that's right. talented women that could sit in positions, but somehow or another people can't find them. They can't find them because they don't want to find them. They They're in front of them. The deficit is in the opportunity. The de- deficit is in the cultural embrace about what diversity really means to their organization. Companies that get it, they will outperform their peers. Well, in doing and, things and a little differently, right? There's a lot of research
0: behind that. Thinking and doing things a little differently is foreign to most people. It's mm-hmm. uncomfortable. I don't care who you are. You're still going out your comfort lines and your borders, even if you are a person who has a very broad area of experience, that takes training and a lifetime. Not that it can't be done earlier, you know, later on in life, but you really have to expose yourself to different opportunities and experiences in order to be able to push that thinking and those habits outside of that comfort zone
1: and be okay with it. Yes. You know, women make up half the population. It's certainly, I think, fair to say that many of the revenues for so many of these companies come from women. And that's their success is owed to their female client and female loyal female customer. Yet they somehow forget that when it comes to their board and their senior management. It doesn't look like their client or customer base at all. Well, it takes work. You know, that's part of the job. We've made strides. I I certainly don't want to have this conversation and and think, you know what, we're back to the days of Bella Abzug and um, and Gloria Steinman. We've made tremendous strides. But the conversation has to continue at all levels. This is a, a conversation that everyone's voice is needed in, not just women. We need men to engage in the conversation because without the voice, the issue itself will just be suffocated. And we have to be able to, we have to work collectively. Together. collectively do something to improve the platform across the board. When you do that, When you actually do it as a way where men come to the table and women and they look at the benefits of this, then you can have real impact and real change. And that's where culture changes, right? It changes by itself because culture drives behavior. Behavior drives performance and performance drives results. You can go that path, then you can optimize the best results, we talk now
0: a little bit about culture and driving behavior. As you look at women climbing the corporate ladders, many of them are leaving because they're getting, quite frankly, sick and tired of what's going on. They've hit the ceiling. They're tired of it. It's, you know, it's, it's less of a glass ceiling than it was in the past. The level of challenge also gets a little dull. We like to be challenged and really push mm-hmm. and think and behave differently the challenge now is also looking outside the markets and we're seeing more and more activist investors and other institutions challenging women who were in leadership roles and at CEO positions. And sadly, I see a number of women caving. Mm. Now, it's not that we don't see the men caving when it happens and the men on the boards, but we get the greater visibility when it happens.
1: Well, because there's fewer of us right there. So the optics itself magnify. So do we fight back more? You know what? I don't don't think it's fighting back. It's being more strategic and thinking and tactical about getting there. Let me give you an example. And a little bit of
0: scenario planning before, knowing what may happen before Mm. it actually happens. Correct.
1: Just in the years from like 2000 (laughs) to like, Probably 2010, approximately 141,000 women left Wall Street. They left the industry completely, while 340,000 men came back in. Came into Wall Street. So that doesn't mean jobs were eliminated, right? But there was certainly a reason why those women left. Each of them had their story of what it took to get there, Mm -hmm. what it took to stay there. And that decision of why they were no longer going to be part of that. And yeah. I think for some of them, it's quality of life choice, work-life balance. For some of them, it's feeling respected, that their talent is valued. Just tired of fighting the battle. T- yeah, and, and right. thinking, you know what? There's other things I can do. I don't need to continue to make rich men richer. I can go out and take my talent maybe be more entrepreneurial, do something myself. But certainly there's a tremendous swing since over the last 18 years. And that's not, that doesn't mean that we're doing something small. We're doing things in
0: very big ways. That's correct. There's a lot that's happening in the tech environment now that is not being necessarily reported in the news, predominantly because, and this turns around to, you know, how difficult it is in the past for women to get on boards is we don't shine the light on ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we typically do. So finding and digging under, under the layers to see where that exceptional leader is that happens to not be in a gray suit mm-hmm. and a red tie, right? Correct. takes a little bit more time and energy and then doing the due diligence on it. So, and then trusting that it's going to be okay if this is the first person that you're bringing onto your board.
1: I think where you see the consequences of lack of diversity in senior management and lack of diversity at the board level, sadly, it's in socioeconomics communities. To think about the fact that we, in the last couple of years, had to go back and fight for paid family leave for the Pregnancy Workers Fairness Act tells you we don't have enough women at the decision-making level yet there are men who are thrilled to be able to have
0: that opportunity. I know because I've seen friends go through it and they're just so excited to be able to spend some time with newborn children.
1: That, there's no question about that. They are benefiting and they appreciate it. But that's after a very long battle Absolutely. of educating people, women are primary caregivers. They understand the importance of having that time that they shouldn't have to choose between a career and the family. Absolutely. And there are
0: trade-offs. Mm-hmm. There are trade-offs. I don't have children, but I've seen my friends go through it. I have different kinds of trade-offs at times. It's just part of who we are as people on this Correct. planet doing the good thing. So let's take a step back. We've talked a little bit about how women in general are challenged by coming up those ranks. Some of the issues in the C suite now as CEOs and leaders being attacked from the outside. And I use the term attack because, you know, it'll happen with men too in those leadership roles. It's not that there is a a wall that doesn't, that can't be crossed because of that. But one of the bigger challenges is women coming up the ladder is that our pay inequity tends to be challenged a little bit more than our male counterparts. Even though we may have more experience in a particular situation. The boardroom is one place that that doesn't happen.
1: Well, that's true. In the boardroom, there there's not only diversity, but you have inclusion in how people are treated compensation-wise. You mentioned something, though, when women step into the C-suites in these companies. I do feel that there's a different focus on women. The focus is not about watching them succeed. It's about waiting for them to fail. Hmm and making that a public
0: statement. Although I've also seen some companies, big financial firms, where there are a few at the top,
1: and they're scared to death to see them leave. That's correct. It doesn't look good. If these women do leave, it begs the question, what's really going on? Most women aren't going to leave a position where they're respected, where their voice matters, where they can be part of improving the platform itself
0: and the press releases don't say leaving because of personal decisions anymore at least certainly for us they may say that for others but in general that's right we don't get that press
1: Mm -hmm. women don't have the support system at the top which is so so important if you don't have a support system you really become very vulnerable on different levels even if you happen to be in the C-suite, unless there's other women around you that can help bolster you, speak about the, the things that you might be thinking about, not just professionally, but personally, right? It's very, very hard to relate to somebody if you really have never walked in their stilettos. It's really hard. <laughs> and yours are a little bit taller than mine. Well, Nancy, not all of us were born with those incredible long legs that you have. <laughs> I, t- I take a lot of help from the 6 <laughs> We may have, we may and have to edit platform. that one out. <laughs> as we talked a little bit about this, uh, the
0: interesting thing that I see, especially as women are making that transition mm-hmm. to want to be in the boardroom, is that It's a different mindset now of how you go out and represent yourself. Because now, it's not that the men don't have difficulties with that. It's just that we take it a little bit more personally, maybe a lot more personally. The ability to now say, I am representing myself, not the company, Mm -hmm. there's a shift. There's a
1: sense of hesitation. There's no question. Men think they're better than they are oftentimes. They think they know more than they do. But we need 12 but, million but, PhDs right, in order to prove but it. they'll raise their hand for jobs they're completely unqualified for. And we're, figure out how to get there. And figure out how to get there and then put the suit on every day and uh, play the role. Then it becomes, well, really, what value do they bring? Are they an empty suit at the table? I don't know whether this comes from our upbringing. I don't know what it is. And it's but, not that we're exceptional problem solvers. Exa- exactly. But oftentimes we don't. We don't give ourselves the credit we deserve. We don't want to take the risk, and we are capable of learning the job um, and not, and we'll say, well, that's outside of the scope of what I've done, or I, my experience isn't really on point to that. That's okay because you have, as women, we have very portable skills and we're and- capable of learning and growing. I've seen men who don't even have the skills jump into the seat, they kind of play act through it. And there's so much exceptional talent that we can bring along with us. Mm -hmm. It's
0: not, there's no one person in the world that Mm -hmm. actually runs a company Mm -hmm. by themselves Mm -hmm. of any scale, I should say that. So it takes a team, it takes a village, whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it. It takes talent Mm -hmm. and being able to do so and know how to make those judgments on who you bring along and why is
1: critical. And we do that well. Just to make a clear point, I don't want to blanket all men under this, because no, in my I career, I am grateful for some unbelievable men who saw talent and vision and capability. I was fortunate my career to work for Jamie Dimon at one point. Mm-hmm. He believed in meritocracy. And th- those are people that, men in particular, who do embrace women, their voices, and empowering them I'm grateful for that, but we don't have enough of it. I agree. Right? That's the real issue. Why are there so few men out there that get it and want to be part of the solution? And my biggest mentors were men. I'm
0: very sad to say that I only worked for one woman in the course of my corporate career. It was probably the worst experience in the corporate environment that I had. Mm -hmm. And I publicly said that. I say it now. I work every day to make sure...
1: I do not replicate that myself. That's not the first time I've heard that, um, where other women have not been supportive of women coming up the ladder. And it goes back to what I said earlier. I embrace a philosophy of reaching back and lifting up other women. I really feel good about that. And everybody. Good people I, I, really in general, good people, right? All people, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, and I shouldn't just say women. It's about the talent, right? If I can, I look back and I see somebody is behind me and they just need an opportunity. Struggle. Why not and create the opportunity? And intelligence. For
0: Bring yeah. it forward. Bring it forward. You can teach people how to do things really well if they want to learn. You can't teach values and morals.
1: Oh, that's the key. You know, you're born with your integrity. That's who you are. And you're right. I don't care. You can go to Wharton, a Harvard. Any of the schools, you can learn how to, all the technical skills you can you can really learn. You know all the financial skills, but what you can't learn is credibility and mm-hmm. integrity. That, and attitude. That's, your moral compass makes up who you are, yeah. and your attitude, what you bring to the table mm-hmm. every
0: day. Cynthia, I'm going to wrap this up, but if there was something that you wanted to put out there for our listening audience that they need to know as it relates to leadership in the environment, what drives companies, puts an extra spark in the boardroom so we can do better, what would that be?
1: It's about understanding that diversity in the boardroom, diversity in the company is a business decision that's good for your bottom line. It is more than doing it because it's the right thing to do. That's just the, the basic, you know, It really is an incredible business decision that impacts your your bottom line. And we can learn from everybody and it's exciting to Mm -hmm. do so, right? I love diversity of thought because I walk away inspired. I think about how to attack something uh, with a different focus. And we have to be perpetual learners, right? That's part of being competitive and staying relevant, we never would have met if
0: we two of us hadn't stepped out of the boxes that we were in. That's correct. And I am thankful for that every day. Thank you, Cynthia. It's been a pleasure to have you here in the boardroom's best. Everybody, if you have not heard about Cynthia's story and a little bit more about her background, please check her out. Cynthia Bartolo, Chairman and CEO or President and CEO of the Tigris Financial Group. She is a dear friend. I'm just thrilled to have her here with us today. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me it's it's women like you and the platform you have that gives folks a voice and that's what we need together we can all raise the boat (laughs) yeah i indeed (laughs) thank you
0: this podcast was brought to you with the support of resources global professionals the company that delivers intellectual capital on demand to the world's most recognized companies and corporate leaders rgp resources global the experts you want to call when you need experience to solve your business problems www.rgp.com.